This is the Mix Zone by Infront Lab. We chat with sports and innovation leaders from around the globe, talking about everything from the newest technologies to major trends affecting our industry. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're Infront Lab, the digital and tech branch of Infront Sports and Media. At the lab, we put fans first and use technology to improve experiences by helping rights owners meet their fans at all touch points along their individual journeys. We work with all sports-related industries, from data to content and everything in between. I'm Marav Sevier, head of B2B marketing at Infront Lab and host of this podcast. One could argue that one of the biggest concerns nowadays is around cybersecurity. As we become ever more digitally focused, the risks of cyber attacks and the ramifications they may have have become increasingly troubling. The sports world is not immune to these attacks. If anything, the flashy names and sizable markets make sports a bigger target. How can sports organizations protect themselves? And more specifically, how can they protect their fans and the data they collect from their communities? Joining us from Flow Security is co-founder and CEO, Jonathan Roizen. Jonathan, welcome to the Mix Zone. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, Johnny, before we get into cyber and sports and specifically securing our fan data, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your history with the security industry and how you came to be co-founder of Flow Security? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, hi, everyone. I'm Johnny. I've been doing cybersecurity, I would say, 16 or 17 years now. Started in the dark side as an offensive cybersecurity practitioner. Um, but then I crossed the fence and actually for many years I've done investigations, incident response, which means that after companies and organizations were hacked or believed to be hacked after data breaches, I led investigations to understand what happened and get them out of the mud. Um, and yeah, nowadays so, there are a lot of sports companies that know what that feels like, oh, unfortunately. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, this is a very hot topic. Um, yeah, so everything that you see in the news, this is exactly what I've seen also how it looked like behind the scenes. Um, yeah, so this I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later. <laughs> of, of course, of course. And, and this is how I started to understand uh, the big risk and the big challenge that is only getting bigger, as you already know, um, and specifically around data security. So this is what led me to start Flow a few years ago. So tell us a bit about Flow. Uh, when did you start it? Who did you start it with? What does the company, company look like nowadays? Sure. So uh, we're a startup. We're based in Tel Aviv in Israel. Um, we started a bit more than two and a half years ago. Uh, currently, we are about 30 people. Uh, we are two founders. I'm the CEO um, and we have a, a second co-founder is the CTO. Um, yeah, we work with big organizations. Uh, of course, I'll elaborate in a second what exactly we do. But the main purpose is to help companies to prevent the next data breach, the next, next uh, data leakage. Uh, which again, it challenged that only getting bigger with time. So in layman's terms, can you explain to us a bit about what it is that you do with these big corporations that you mentioned? Sure. So I would say that, I mean, everything that you do today, if you want to order your favorite pizza or just get a taxi, uh, your information is getting sent to many organizations. Sent uh, and saved in many instances. Sent, yeah, but this is the thing that you don't really know where your data is being sent and saved. And sorry, I'm not going to be the good guy, the good news <laughs> guy today, but even the companies in which you're sending your data to, they don't really know what is happening because their environment are extremely complex. They have hundreds, if not thousands of engineers uh, in their environment that mm -hmm. just do whatever they need to do in order to get the business done. But not only that, they also share that information with other 
organizations. Um, and this with this data sprawl, it's just a matter of time until data is getting leaked. And when we're talking about these uh, corporations, these companies at the moment, you're talking about tech companies that have hundreds of engineers that have this big database. Now, if we look at it from the sports perspective, these are companies that don't normally deal with these type of technologies. So is it even more confusing when you're looking at those type of entities who may not be these big high tech companies that are working in the startup and the technology industries? So I'll say that the challenge is even bigger because Every company today is a software company. Mm -hmm. Every sports company is an e-commerce um, vendor in a way or another. Every company stores data, yet even without the expertise, still customers' data is getting saved and uh, stored and also shared. So the risk is still there. And this is why we every time you refresh the news feed, you see yet another data breach. And no, you don't work with any sports companies at the moment. Is that correct? Uh, correct. I mean, we do work with e-commerce and retail companies, including Fortune 100 companies, uh, but currently, no, uh, not with dedicated sports. And, and like you said, even sports companies are now, they're sort of like retailers. They're online shops. They're Absolutely. everything. So they do have a hand in everything that you are working with at the moment. So if we take a look at this from the perspective of a sports entity now this can be a team it can be a league federations there are plenty of organizations uh, within the sports industry if we take a look at it from their perspective what do you see as the biggest concerns and risks that they face i think the question each organization has to ask itself what is the biggest risk around data what is the what what is the data that if it leaked if it if leaked then it will be a big impact on the company it can be either uh, regulation and privacy, it can be um, reputation-wise or crown jewels of the organization. Um, yeah, I mean, this is always, this is also how we, we tackle that with our customers, asking what keeps them up at night uh, with data. Uh, and yes, as you said yourself, today, organizations store a lot of customers' data, sometimes even critical numbers, but beside that, a lot of personal information, like geographic location, mm -hmm. um, connections between people that also is very sensitive. And yes, I guess that every company can assume that if that is leaked, it will be a big impact for its reputation. And we're talking, if we talk about fan data, you're mentioning credit card numbers, geolocations. What are the biggest risks, obviously, in revealing these? Have you seen companies that have had these type of data leaks? And what were the risks and the ramifications that they had to deal with? First of all, the biggest risk when PII is getting leaked um, is uh, identity theft. Uh, today, if you want to use someone's credit card number or you want to, um, uh, yeah, I mean, steal from any way uh, from someone, the first step is getting personal information of that person. Uh, and then you can use that information in order to, I mean, maliciously steal something from it. Therefore, Definitely, any or no organization want to be the one that is the source of that personal data that can cause this type of malicious activity. So, where is it that breaches happen when we're talking about securing fan data? So, obviously, if I'm a fan and I'm sitting at home and I'm watching a game and I decide I want to buy a jersey, I go in, I insert my details, and this includes my name, my phone number, my address for shipping, my credit card right. number. Where from that moment that I'm putting in all my information to where it is being stored, obviously long-term within sports organizations, databases, where can these breaches happen? Where do they happen most often? There's a big shift in that area uh, because 
it used to be more than anything around files like um, I know documents and excels um, that run through emails etc but today it's different because today every company is a software company and all these processes are being automated therefore Yes, when you enter to a website and do, I don't know, buy tickets, buy a jersey, or use any, or use a, sign up to a coach uh, bus, it doesn't matter. Your information now is in a stream mm -hmm. of many different applications that go through places that no one exactly knows how uh, with no control whatsoever. This is the main problem. And it's only getting more and more acute as these organizations are getting bigger these environments are getting bigger and there are more and more processes that are being digitalized um yeah and this is i mean this is exactly what we do at flow yeah we're like you said more and more processes are being digitalized and as and community and the globe around the globe we're becoming more and more digitally focused in terms of saving all our information onto our computers onto our google chrome wherever it may be so mention what you do at flow what is it exactly that you're able to do that you do and what is it that sports organize, organizations can do to protect their data their fan data because that is possibly most the most important one especially now when we're looking at countries more in europe that are following gdpr and rules and regulations are becoming right. stricter and stricter yeah in europe and also uh, in the u.s after ccpa now cpra is kicking in uh, there are new regulations in brazil in india everywhere uh, and yes, that makes the impact of any kind of data breach uh, even more painful. So I would say that, first of all, it's important to understand the scope because there are two separate sides of, of an organization. One is the corporate side, where there are the emails and the endpoints, like the laptops of, the, of the, um, all the employees. Uh, and the second is the application side. We are very focused on the latter. So maybe the first question is what... Uh, how do they do that today? I mean, how, and I think that every organization has to go to the right person, like the security team or even the engineer, if there is no security team in place. Outsourcing many small outsource. organizations. A lot of sports organizations are very small, may not have their own, so. Absolutely, yes, yes. Um, and make sure that the one that is in charge knows where do we have PII? Where do we have personal information? Where, how do we store credit card numbers? How can we be sure that it is safe and secure. And today these processes are being done manually and this is exactly what we are automating, that data discovery and protection. How do you automate that? I mean, if we're talking in not too technical uh, terms, how is it that this process is done? <laughs> right, so it, the process is extremely complicated due to the characteristic of data. We always talk about data as kind of a fluid mm -hmm. uh, that can very easily um, be sprawled, be, like, can, f can flow everywhere, basically. And more today, more than ever, engineers can they have big independence to do more or less whatever they want, uh, which again it's great for the business because then you can develop much faster, you can uh, deploy to production much faster, and you can have much more features. But the dark side of it is that that ease of moving data around makes it so difficult. So what we do is we have a technology that takes that under account. What it does is combination of two things. One is scanning data trust, which means we connect to all your data sources automatically, being able to classify and find, the, for example, um, the credit card numbers in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. But second, and that's also what makes us unique, we have the ability to analyze data in motion as well, uh, to do a full lineage, the full journey of data from the moment, it, from the moment you order your jersey uh, and how it flows between applications until it's being stored 
whether it is a known or unknown data store, and also where it's being shared to, and we provide all of that visibility and control over those data flows in a very um, simple manner. So if you're now sitting down with a sports organization and they're at the beginning of their, let's call it data protection journey, what are the first steps that you would recommend for them to do in order to ensure that their data is protected? One is understand what is the scope. Uh, you cannot start with doing uh, everything. Uh, you have to build Rome uh, day by day. So you have to start with saying what, what is the biggest risk? Then starting to do some kind of threat modeling. Um, all kinds of mapping the risks that can happen. What happen if um, there is credential theft, someone steals uh, employee password, or what happens if there is an insider risk, an employee that wants to steal data. Um, and by doing that, and this is usually being done by professionals, being able to map those risks. And if the problem is of the data discovery and the data security, finding the risk around the data itself, um, then, of course, I would recommend use a professional tool to do so. So what are the biggest challenges that you see in securing fan data today in this climate and specifically, specifically for talking about sports? Is it different or do you believe it's different in any way for sports organizations from other organizations? Or is it similar to, like you said, retailers or anyone else who may be collecting and storing it? this specific type of data because obviously sports they have the retail side they have ticketing they know who's coming into their stadiums they have a lot of information about individuals and oftentimes at least for me as a sports fan I'm much more inclined to offer up my information to a sports club because they are asking me questions that may not be personal about my credit card number but they are details that at the end of the day help build the picture of who I am of course yeah, so I, often I'm being asked, um, you know, with my background of seeing many data leakages, data breaches, uh, what is the biggest risk? What is the biggest vulnerability? What is the place where you should start uh, uh, fertilizing? Is it firewall? Is it the antivirus? And what I always say is that it is what's between the keyboard and the chair. Um, and I think that this is also very true for sports organizations uh, before because we're seeing the digitalization happening today, um, and unlike other highly regulated industries like financial services or healthcare, that for dozens of years already there are security processes in place, I'm seeing that only now starting to happen in sports. So I would say that... Is it lagging behind that much? Um, I, I believe so. I mean, I don't know how much, and of course it depends on the company itself, on each, each individual, individual company, but I would assume so. I would assume that the first step would be education, uh, just for people to understand how a phishing email looks like, what is the risk of giving your credentials online to a website that looks exactly like your portal, um, how should you react when you see something that is suspicious and so on, um, and then going to, I mean, this is the all, always the first step, so you can trust, but then the next step would be to verify. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people and companies learn the tough way and that's by actually having experiencing an attack right. if we were to you know take a look at some of the specifics and uh what had happened to sports organizations as for example a british uh, jd sports clothing yeah. retailer they had a breach that affected 10 million customers uh, what are some of these big examples on a global scale that you've seen that sports organizations should learn from and what can they learn from these breaches i i, I would say that uh, all the incidents that you see online 
are only the tip of the iceberg, actually, <laughs> because for every incident that is getting published, there are... Which is a say. very scary thought, because it's pretty often that we hear about breaches, and more and more often that we're hearing about these big breaches. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, know, I know that's not, not a, fun, uh, a, a, one, a fun thought. However, I can say that um, that helps for fast maturity for organizations of all kinds, from the smaller ones of few dozens of employees all the way to the biggest 100 companies in the market. Um, and what, what I can say is that even though there are big differences, um, there are also many similarities. Mm -hmm. And that is that what we are seeing is that always companies put a lot of budget and put a focus on what drives the business. And that, that makes sense. We, want to, we are here to, to drive the business to get it bigger. To earn revenue. To earn revenue. I mean, if I'm paying $1,000, I want to see how I get $2,000 on the other side of that equation. However, in security, it's not that easy to measure. Uh, and you only see that when it's a bit too late. Exactly. Um, so I would say that the first step would be... Um, allocating the right budget. Uh, it sounds almost obvious, but uh, not, wa not waiting for what can happen. Uh, and if you want to understand as an organization whether you're lagging behind or not, uh, you can order an assessment, like a one-time mm -hmm. assessment, um, a professional service that can do this kind of assessment and then let you know, I mean, how is your posture against the next cybersecurity? Maybe, you, maybe you're okay, but maybe not. Um, so I would say this is the first step. Another thing that worth uh, uh, learning, and yes, JD is one one example. People had many breaches. Any kind of, of companies that you can think of have many of these data breaches. I would say look for companies that are similar to your characteristic, um, similar geography, and similar um, architecture and technology. And then do kind of a simulation of if that's something that could have happened in our place. Whether uh, if it's uh, phishing, then also uh, you can do an assessment and send to your employees a phishing uh, campaign to see uh, if this is something that works. You can do that without waiting for the real phishing mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, you can do this kind of assessment in your application side. Uh, you can look for any kind of unknown databases before the adversary will do that. So I would say that be more active and don't wait for something to happen because then it will be too late. And if we're talking about it you know, in sports terms, always be on the offense, not on the defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the best, in that sense. the best defense is offense. That's, uh, that's exactly. Exactly. And you know, you mentioned that at the beginning of the show that you've been uh, witness to some of these attacks and what, uh, mm -hmm. what they can do. Can you share a bit about those? Obviously the, you know, the ins and the details may, may not be able to reveal to us, but what have you learned about these type of attacks that you think that every organization should know and that listeners in the sports world need to know? Right. So, yeah, I, of course, I can share, of course, not the, um, the identity of these companies, uh, but definitely I've seen data breaches of all sizes and also for all kinds of motives. Uh, that's also interesting. Many of those campaigns are just, um, I would say, just to steal money in one way or another, or steal identity that leads to money. But also I've seen um, espionage between different organizations that is also quite common. Something that I can, I can say that I've learned is that this is also a change in, in the perspective in the cybersecurity defensive space. And that is, we're not building walls anymore. It's not a matter of 
only protecting the fortress, mm-hmm. saying it's it's important to to no, a, anyone to enter. You have to understand that someone will enter. It's just a matter of time and just a matter of effort. It can be an insider or an outsider threat. And then you have to do some kind of a zero trust uh, way of looking at the situation. For example, no one should have more access to sensitive data that it really should that, that that they should have or they must have for uh, doing their their job. Um, so I would say that yeah, be it comes again to be on the offensive and not on the defensive. And now if we talk about. I think the world's favorite topic at the moment, artificial intelligence, not specifically chat GPT, but sports has really uh, dove headfirst into the world of artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality, blockchain, Web 3.0. If we're looking at these not only as buzzwords, which they are buzzwords at the moment, but if we take a look at them and we take a look down the road, what is it that sports organizations should be wary of and aware of in order to continue protecting fan data? Generative AI definitely is not only a buzzword, but it really is a revolution. Uh, and we're going, it's going to change our lives in many different aspects. In the cybersecurity uh, aspect, I can say that it makes so much easier to do very advanced attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it used to be, I mean, I, I know, I guess everyone, everyone that hears this podcast already happened to him that getting an email that only by the level of English uh, you can understand that it's not... Um, it's not legitimate. Know, it's not legitimate. It's something that, that is suspicious and it doesn't sound, it doesn't have the tone of the, uh, I mean, the suspected uh, um, uh, sender of this email. However, with generative AI, it's very much easier to mimic this mm-hmm. type of voice. Um, so with that a level of sophistication, it's also important to have better sophistication from the defense side. So this is one thing. The second thing I would say is that this is yet another channel that people and also organization can share data without knowing that they're sharing that type of data externally. For example, if you copy paste to your chat GPT um, um, some information that contains PII, many people say, okay, this is something that I just process with uh, uh, automatically. Um, f- to do some kind of task. But this is PII, this is personal information. That is being retained by a system that learns from the information <laughs> exactly. it receives. <laughs> exactly. exactly. This is, by definition, it's being stored in an external source. You're violating many regulations for sure, but also you're putting the data at risk. And this is also comes back to the education side, that people have to understand how important it is, even though it's really cool to have a, a, you know, a rap song giving some uh, information, that that information is kept in that third party. And if we're taking a look uh, on this end, do you see here some, do we have to educate more on the side of the, the fans who may be entering in the information? Is the education more on the part of the, the companies and the employees within the companies? Is it sort of a balance between the two? Where should we be looking in terms of educating for the future to make sure that we can protect as much of the data that is collected as possible? I would say that it's more important for the sports organization to be educated. For the fans, uh, as a fan myself, I like to be treated as, you know, I, I'm here only to have fun. And I'm, I want to buy the jersey and I, want, I don't want to be worried of anything happening to my information. I don't want to be educated. Don't educate me uh, of, of how I should do that. Uh, what I do want is to have trust on the organization that I put my 
personal information, my preferences, um, sometimes even um, healthcare-related information. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure that it is it is being kept and saved uh, in a way that I can sleep well at night. You oftentimes we see that secure payment logo secured by company X. You know, is there something more? that organizations can do to give their um, their buyers, their fans, their clients uh, that sense of security? Yeah, those logos, uh, that means that it is being processed by a third party that in that specific case is a good thing. Uh, because I would say that if an organization don't f- it doesn't feel that has the expertise to secure data, for example, payments is like, I would say the most, most concrete uh, example here, uh, of the PCI DSS uh, uh, compliance, uh, the regulation of how credit card numbers should be stored, uh, then yes, it's better to use a, a third party that uh, can do that probably better. Uh, but generally, I would say that it is important to understand again the scope of what has to be protected, what can be done in-house, what can't. It's, it's better to do it to outsource it. Uh, but for no circumstances, it's important not to do any kind of compromise on customer's data. And unfortunately, as we keep getting better at securing, also on the other side, you have uh, Mm -hmm. those who are doing the phishing attacks, those who are trying to steal all the data who are also becoming a bit more um, sophisticated on their end. Is there something that the security industry is doing to stay ahead of the attackers? Just this is in general out of curiosity. I would say that you know, it, uh, there's a saying that the best policeman uh, is also the best criminal. Mm. Um, and in cybersecurity, it's not only a saying. Many of the cybersecurity defenders are or were uh, cybersecurity offenders. Um, I mean, uh, hopefully moral ones. <laughs> y- yet, I- yet it is very important um, to have that type of expertise. And you're right. I mean, in order to protect against some type of attacks, you have to think like an attacker. You have to work around that. Um, but what we, we see also uh, in, in the last few years is that we see more and more companies, uh, cybersecurity vendors, that based on dozens of years of uh, cybersecurity expertise are developing tools that pr- can protect um, organizations that need that type, these type of tools. And hopefully we see more and more organizations, especially in our industry, in the sports industry, starting to use uh, these platforms, equipment, and security systems. Uh, Johnny Loisen, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Mix Zone. No, thank you. It was a real pleasure. That wraps up this episode of The Mix Zone by Infront Lab. I'm Marav Severe. You can find me and the lab on LinkedIn. Don't hesitate to reach out and chat with our team about sports tech solutions or just last night's game. Enjoyed the episode? Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. And don't forget to rate us. We'll see you next time.